This is The Guardian. Just a warning before we start, this episode includes descriptions of animal cruelty. Is that buzzard? No. (gasps) (laughs) Oh my God. That's awesome. What me, Ruth, a campaigner and conservationist, and a friend of Ruth's, who was our guide for the day, were watching with so much excitement was a bird of prey called a hen harrier. Oh my gosh. (gasps) We were climbing a hill in England's Peak District National Park with a stream running next to us and purple heather just coming out on the hillside when, out of nowhere, it just appeared. Wow, it's just floating on the breeze, really gently flapping its wings. They call it quartering when it's, it's hunting. So it's, it's really low to the ground. It's, it's trying to pick up sounds and just quarters backwards and forwards. I had spent months thinking about hen harriers. The females and young males are speckled and brown, but the adult males are a distinctive grey with black wingtips. From a distance, you could mistake them for a seagull. So it's either a, an adult female or a juvenile male. I can't see it. It's, no, it's just gone, oh, it's over gone down again. Come back up, though. It's up. Oh, wow, she's coming kind of over our heads now. Right over our heads. I don't know if you understand how lucky you are to have seen that. <laughs> there are people who come up here to look for harriers and, and do it for years and don't ever see one. Wow. This is one of Britain's rarest and most protected birds of prey. The adult males are best known for their aerial displays sky dancing, an aerobatic courtship ritual where they flip, loop and twist on the breeze. A very media-friendly bird. That view that we've just had, it should be really, a really common sight, but this is so, so rare to see. What had brought me to the stunning surroundings of the Peak District and to Ruth and her friend was a story about this one bird at the centre of a bitter conflict. Like, this is such a divisive creature and it looks so kind of serene and innocuous. It's just a a large brown bird to any unassuming onlooker. But for us, the species has become symbolic. It is like meeting a sort of celebrity if you're into that kind of thing. (laughs) The story of this bird would take me deep into British culture and history, sport and its interaction with conservation, but also the world of crime. Well, it's a crime, isn't it? Without fear or favour, that's how I've always policed. Stakeouts. The clincher is the ID. Can you identify that suspect? Internet trolls. Someone called me a harridan. What is that? It's like some 16th century uh, whore. And of course, money. Not many people can say that they'd lose that much if they were dismissed from their job. You're essentially losing everything that you have. But for a moment, just a moment, me, Ruth and her friend indulged ourselves in letting all that fall away as the hen harrier swooped up and down over the crest of the hill. And then it was gone. 
you do get this sense of bittersweetness when you see the bird there's elation because yeah there it is this bird that you've been looking for for months but then if you stop to think about what's probably going to happen to it it's it's just heartbreaking really from the guardian i'm biodiversity reporter phoebe weston and this is a special mini series from the age of extinction killing the sky dancer part one susie's chicks It all started at the beginning of this year, a typical January evening at home, on the sofa, scrolling through social media. A picture of a nest of fluffy chicks caught my eye, and when I paused to read the post, I was stopped in my tracks. It was a link to Ruth Tingey's blog, Raptor Persecution UK. Ruth's blog is not a nice place to visit. Raptor Persecution is the poisoning, shooting, mutilation or trapping of birds of prey like buzzards, kites, barn owls and hen harriers. But the case I just read, it wasn't just horrific, it was astonishing. In 2020, in the northwest of England, a female hen harrier was tagged by Natural England, the government's conservation agency. They called her Susie. By April 2022, Susie had made her way to Wernside, an area in the Yorkshire Dales National Park on a moorland estate. She made a nest, and by the start of May, there were four chicks in it. Field workers from Natural England, the government's conservation body, had set up a motion-activated camera to follow the chicks' progress. Then, on the 20th of June, data from Susie's tracker showed her 35 kilometres away from the nest, worrying Natural England staff. The next day, staff headed to her nest and found the chicks dead, crushed. Staff retrieved the nest camera footage and watched for what had happened. On the 15th of June, after dark, at 9.54pm, Susie was settled in the nest with the chicks who were fit and well-fed. At 9.59, there's a whiteout, obscuring the footage entirely, something very likely to have been caused by a torch being shone into the camera. The next time the camera is triggered, it showed Susie on the morning of the 16th, attempting to feed her dead chicks. A post-mortem of the three chicks which were recovered showed that each had suffered multiple fractured bones. One had a crushed skull. The evidence suggested that a person had stamped on the chicks to kill them. Six months later, the police put out an appeal for information. There wasn't a single suspect and there were zero leads. When I read about what happened, I could not believe that a nest of chicks that were being filmed could be killed so easily and savagely with no repercussions. I couldn't stop thinking about it and I wanted to find out more. Now, to tell you the story about Susie and hen harriers, I actually need to start by introducing a different bird a lucrative game bird known as a red grouse, the cousin of the black grouse you may recognise from the label of a certain whiskey bottle. 
Grouse are medium-sized, brown, a bit like a chicken or more like a partridge, with nice, plump bodies, small heads and little, sharp beaks. The grouse's part goes back to 1773 and the glorious 12th, or the 12th of August to you and me. That year, the date of the 12th of August was set in statute as the opening of the grouse shooting season in Britain. Parliamentarians and aristocracy would up sticks and head north for 121 days of shooting game birds, drinking and socialising. In the mid-1800s, the sport really took off. The driven grouse-moor industry was established. Landowners and gamekeepers intensively and carefully managed their land to get as many grouse as possible so parties of shooters could get their money's worth. Today, grouse shooting takes place across 7% of the UK. This is around the same amount of land as all urban areas put together. And it largely remains a sport of the wealthy and well-connected. People can pay thousands of pounds a day for a gun. Back on the Peak District Hills, Ruth Tingey showed me what a day of driven grouse shooting would be like. This is a key area for the sport. So, Ruth, we're at, well, we're kind of in the saddle of a hill and all around us are grouse moors. And we're standing in what looks like a miniature stone wall. What is this? Yeah, it's like a, um, a circular stone wall. This is actually a grouse butt. We're in a line of grouse butts, and then they run up, up the side of the hill there. It's usually about eight or nine in a row. And what happens on a driven grouse shoot day is the people who've paid to come grouse shooting will be assigned a butt each. They usually pull numbers for it because some butts will be better than others. Basically, they're just a hide for them to stand in. You've got a line of people, usually called beaters, coming in towards the butts, waving flags and blowing whistles and stuff, and and they're trying to flush the grouse towards this line of butts. So the idea is for the people standing in these butts to shoot as many as they can as they go over. But what they do is they'll manage this landscape to maximise the number of grouse available. So there are three main things that they do, and the first one is to manage the vegetation, and they do that by burning. You can see here the strips of muir burn. So yeah. they want different heights of heather, um, nutritious young shoots for the grouse to eat, and then longer pieces of heather for them to hide in and nest in. They also medicate the grouse. They put out what's called medicated grit. And the third big thing that they do to maximise the number of grouse is predator control. This is where the hen harrier takes centre stage. Because hen harriers eat red grouse chicks and scare the parents, a hen harrier hovering over the land on a shoot day would cause the grouse to randomly scatter. Studies have shown that hen harrier and other birds of prey can damage a shoot so much it can become economically unviable. Now, for so-called pest species like stoats, crows, foxes, predator control is allowed. Birds of prey have long been protected by law. It's illegal to purposefully kill or injure a hen harrier, a peregrine or a goshawk and the maximum sentence is an unlimited fine and or six months in jail. But despite this, they continue to be targeted and made to disappear. 
we know that that goes on. There's lots of evidence of that happening. Convictions of people being caught doing it. Film footage of people being doing it. It's been going on for years. According to Nature Conservation Charity, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, the RSPB, despite numbers increasing, the persecution of birds of prey has been soaring since the pandemic. In 2021, 108 birds of prey were illegally killed in the UK, and 71% of those were linked to land managed by game bird shooting. Many think that is a significant underestimate of the real number because these birds live in really remote places and it's possible many carcasses are just never recovered. I don't believe that it happens on all of them, but I do believe it happens on a large proportion of them. And the reason I say that is because you don't get a population level effect on a bird of prey if you've just got one or two people taking a pot shot at them here and there. It has to be systematic, widespread persecution. In 2022, Natural England reported that there were 34 successful hen harrier nests in England. While this number is higher than previous years, ecologists have calculated the English uplands could support a breeding population of 330 pairs which is why many conservationists and activists aren't yet seeing the rise as a cause for celebration. In reality, hen harriers remain one of the most threatened birds of prey in the UK. While they are, like all wildlife across our planet, being put at risk by habitat losses and the climate crisis, government studies have shown that illegal killing is the main factor keeping their populations low and preventing recovery. And all fingers point to grouse moors. It's a conflict between business and conservation that most of us would have no idea is happening here. So I'd worked in, in raptor conservation for years, mostly abroad, because I didn't think there was an issue with birds of prey in the UK. I thought we're a fairly progressive country, they're protected here, so there's no problem. It's an idea a lot of us have. Shooting lions to have as trophies, elephants for ivory. This kind of thing happens in other parts of the world, not here. But it's a massive hypocrisy because, as you'll see from this story, we are illegally killing our rare animals too. That's why I started the blog 13 years ago, specifically to raise awareness of what was going on. As we made our way over the river and down the hill, I stopped to ask her what it's like to cover these kind of incidents. Is there a case in the sort of decade or so that you've been writing about this that does stick out as being particularly grim? A few of them still do get to me. I think the most recent one was a satellite-tagged hen harrier called Asta, and she was doing okay, zooming around the country... And then something weird happened with the data from her tag. And they went out looking for this bird and, and the tag. And they found the tag. The tag had been taken off Aster and fitted to a crow. Uh, the crow was dead by the time they, that they found it. But what was most disturbing about it for me was when you fit a, a satellite tag to a bird of prey, it's fitted in a harness that's sewn around the bird's body. You can't just unbutton it and take it off. That harness was still intact. 
on the crow. So what that tells me is that um, they would have had to break the hen harrier aster's wings to take the harness off the bird. And the thought of them doing that when she was still alive, perhaps, um, is just horrific. It was the case of Susie and her chicks that had really stayed with me. I'd found it so shocking, but when I asked Ruth about it, she had this kind of blank look on her face. Do you remember? Do you know what I'm talking about? Vaguely, I kind of remember. Does this stick? It doesn't stick out for you? No. No, it's probably not as memorable to me as it is to you because I'm used to reading and writing about this stuff. It was hard to hear that this particular story didn't stand out to Ruth because it should. And the fact it doesn't, well, I'll leave you to draw your own conclusion. After we'd been out for the afternoon, Ruth invited me back to hers for a cup of tea. I don't think it's that. Gosh, that is lovely. She hadn't wanted to email or text her address to me in advance, and so we convoyed over and were supplied with an array of sandwiches and snacks. (laughs) That will sound like a slurp for the sake of a slurp. Ruth told me she was particularly careful about sharing personal details following years of abuse covering raptor persecution. It started with them sending messages on social media. Sometimes you get articles written about yourself. You go into work in the conservation field and you think that you're doing a good thing and no one goes into the conservation field for money, that's for sure. It's like a a vocation. You feel like you want to do something and contribute something. I never, ever thought that I would face such opposition And the only reason that that I get opposition is because I'm campaigning against illegal persecution. I was wondering what people, kind of the insults that people say about you. What are the kind of things that people insult you about? Apparently I'm having sex with Chris Packham, Nicola Sturgeon, a couple of police officers, Caroline Lucas, I think. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's quite common. Um, a lot of this stuff is is really gendered, so it's either you know nasty bitch, fat bitch, ugly bitch, uh, stupid bitch, all the bitches kind of thing. They're just trying to derail you from what you're doing. Their answer is misogyny, chucking a few insults out. That'll stop her. Well, no, it won't. It's not so much the individual insults that you get. I mean, they're just water off ducks back but um where it gets difficult is where you have an accumulation of stuff and you let it build up and build up and build up i asked ruth what she meant by stuff i've had some dodgy experiences in in the yorkshire dales on particular ground smalls where i've spent quite a lot of time walking around seeing what's going on taking photographs stuff and i'm recognized there i've had my tires slashed twice and then um, my phone number was leaked, as well as my address. So I was getting some messages through that. Your sense of, of safety just disappears in a flash. You become hyper-aware 
of everything and everybody around you. Like if I'm in a public place, I don't like sitting with my back to the door. I'm sure nothing would happen, but it's just a, a kind of psychological safety thing that you build up in your head. I did some personal protection training. Once you feel like you've got some control over it, it becomes a lot easier to manage. Ruth believes that the trolls and the people trying to intimidate her and other campaigners are all linked to the shooting industry and particularly driven grouse shooting. Some birds getting killed in the middle of nowhere might not sound like it would inspire so much vitriol and rage, but as you'll hear, this issue is as knotty and divisive as it comes. These are small communities. You know, you're going to have a target on your back, metaphorically, if you stick your head above the parapet. You're going to find a lot of people kind of turn a blind eye to it because of the benefits it brings, because the people have to stay in the pubs and stay in the inns and the better breakfasts and, and the money that they spend in town. I know what these hills are like and I can come up here and walk around for a day and not see anyone. So, you know, actually solving something, it's not impossible, but it's very, very difficult. That's to come. This episode was reported and produced by me, Phoebe Weston, and Madeline Finley. It was sound designed by Joel Cox, and the executive producer was Ellie Bury. I'll be back tomorrow for the next instalment of our special Age of Extinction mini-series, Killing the Sky Dancer, Part 2, The Perfect Crime. See you then. This is The Guardian. The Guardian. 